Okay, we're going. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Well, we are back and we are <laughs> here for, to tell some more stories. And today, in honor of America, we've decided to do American Rand Colts. Yes. So, happy 4th of July to ha- all. Happy 4th of July. I will say mine is kind of a cult, kind of not. I got into it and I was like, oh well, I'm just going to go with it. So, we're going to go with American people. That have done things. For the people. <laughs> for the American people, for the people. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start with the uh, our favorite of the coin toss. I'm letting you You're gonna do let the honorary. Me? Okay. Um, all right. You'll so be heads and I'll be tails. All right. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. How do I do this again? <laughs> let me see what it is. It didn't make the clink. It went through the air. It's heads. Heads. Oh, you're going first. Yay. Yeah, I haven't gone first in a while. All right. I'm going to sit back and listen. I am going to tell you guys about Marcus DeLon Wesson. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard about him. So, I don't know. I hadn't before. I have not. Um, He was born in August of 1946 in Kansas. And was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, which I didn't even realize that that was a thing in oh, yeah. the 40s and 50s. Oh, I guess I didn't think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I guess it was. Like, goes that, thinking like World back. War II era Seventh-day Adventists. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> have put the two and two together, but okay. So Marcus claimed that his mom was a religious fanatic and his father was an alcoholic and child abuser who abandoned the family when he was a kid. And in the 1960s, they moved from Kansas to San Bernardino, California. Quite the move. Yeah. And why do all of these happen in California? I know. I feel like I can't get out of California. Uh, Marcus dropped out of high school and joined the army. And after returning from his station in Europe and leaving the military, he met Rosemary Solorio. Rosemary was from San Jose, and she was married, and they were having an affair. (gasps) And yeah, and Rosemary left her husband, and then Marcus moved in with her and her children. Okay. And when are, what time frame are we at now? Uh, let's see, 60s, um, probably like late 60s, early 70s, because in 1971, Rosemary and Marcus had a son. Okay, so they're breaking the rules. <laughs> Rule breakers. <laughs> and then during this time period, I mean, this is just the starting of breaking the rules. Oh boy, okay. So during this time, Marcus was getting closer and closer to Rosemary's daughter, Elizabeth, who was five at the time. And he was telling her that God had chosen her to be his bride. And that he owned her and that he would kill her if she ever left him. And in 1974, when Elizabeth was eight years old, Marcus and Elizabeth were quote-unquote married in an unofficial home wedding ceremony. Marcus was 27 at the time. Ugh. Yeah, she, she was eight. Poor little baby. Uh, so when Elizabeth was 15, she was pregnant. And yeah. Mm. And Marcus and her married legally at that point. And Eliz- Elizabeth's mom, yeah. Rosemary. 
which was fine with us. She gave them her blessing, evidently. Can you imagine this household? It's all sorts of weird. Right? Ew. <laughs> yeah. And Rosemary, at that point, kind of just leaves the picture. I wasn't able to find a lot of information on what happens to her after this. Um, So... A few months after they're married, their first child's born, and over the next 16 years, Elizabeth ends up having 11 children with Marcus, including either one or two that died. Um, I'm not sure. I, there were conflicting reports. It's a lot of babies. It's a lot of babies. And one of, Eliz- one of Elizabeth's younger sisters ended up leaving her own seven children with Marcus and Elizabeth claiming that she couldn't care for them. So they had 18 children? So many children. Yeah. That's a lot of children. Uh, Marcus, over the years, would never have a stable job. And he lived off of welfare and his adult children's earnings. They would often live in vacant houses, run-down shacks, and even boats. Okay. And in 1989, Marcus was convicted of welfare fraud and perjury because he didn't list the rundown rotting tugboat they were living on as an asset on his welfare form. (laughs) Okay. And he went to jail. And while he was there, he still managed to control his wife, daughters, and children. So surprisingly, Marcus was abusive towards his wife and children. Shocking. Right. As is always shocking. I'm just so surprised. Mm. He would prevent Elizabeth from participating in their kids' upbringing. Their daughters weren't allowed to talk to their mother. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Everything was controlled, including what they ate, who they talked to. Uh, the children were told they were only safe at home, but then they were beat with cable cords yanked from the wall or tree branches. If they moved or made any noise, the beatings would last longer. They could be beat for mundane things like asking a question or having the wrong vibe. Having the wrong vibe? Yeah. Okay. His son, Adrian Wesson, who now lives in San Francisco, says he was my dad. He was God. I was mortally afraid of him. There were times as a child when I could not speak, when I would defecate in my pants, when I could not walk for a week because the beatings were so bad. His other son, Serafina Wesson, who's a security guard now, says, Without knowing it, we had an invisible gun to our heads. I was brainwashed. If I had ever talked up to him or tried to stop anything he did, I would not be alive today. So, of course, because he controls everything, the children were homeschooled, and they were taught from his own handwritten Bible. Okay. This is where it gets interesting. Here we go. (laughs) The Bible Marcus wrote focused on Jesus Christ as being a vampire. Hmm. That's a different turn. It is. And surprisingly enough, it actually has some sort of connection. He says this is because they both held the key to eternal life and that drinking blood was the key to immortality. Okay. Like, I mean. It's not that far off. We do blood facials and people are, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, makes and sense. And we drink the blood of Christ and vampires probably drink the blood of Christ. Yeah. And maybe that's why they're immortal. Okay. Hmm. I can't do it. I'll keep drinking my wine. <laughs> wine for days. Dracula Christ. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> he told his children that he was God, which wouldn't that make him Jesus's dad? Yes. So then his son would be Jesus? Who is a vampire? Yes. I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> so he told his children that he was God, and then they were to refer to him as Master or Lord. And, of course, he taught his children to be prepared for Armageddon, as you do in a cult-like family. Yes. And that the girls were destined to become Marcus's future wives. Makes sense. Yeah. Marcus emphasized that God's people are becoming extinct and that we need to preserve God's children and have more children for the Lord. He separated the boys from the girls so that they wouldn't develop sexual feelings for each other. So the boys would stay in the shack while the girls stayed on an old boat. Because, you know, incest was only okay if he was doing it. Right. Absolutely. Of course. Uh, when Marcus started sexually abusing his daughters, Elizabeth tried to leave. But Marcus choked her until she blacked out. Where was I? Okay, so Marcus sexually abused and married seven of the girls in home ceremonies when they were seven to nine years old. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, these are his daughters and nieces. So, but he's married multiple people now. So, at this point, he's married to his wife, Elizabeth, and then his daughters and nieces. So, seven of his daughters and nieces and his original wife. So, he's a polygamist as well. Yes. Okay. An incestuous polygamist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, he married the girls when they were seven to nine years old. Um, those girls were his daughters, Kiana and Sabrina, which he spelled Sabrina, S-E-B-H-R-E-N-A-H. Just like added every vowel and everything. He's like, okay, this looks good. Yeah. And his nieces, Rosa Solorio, Sofina Solorio, and Ruby Ortiz. Um, Ruby testified that Marcus began molesting her when she was eight years old. According to her, he said the sexual abuse was a father's way to show affection to his daughter. Yeah. Guess I should have done this one for Father's Day. Yeah. (laughs) Father of the year right here. Mm -hmm. The girls would, of course, go on to have Marcus's children and also grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. One, like check two boxes right there exactly get to be a dad and a granddad on all in one all in one it's a great day for him (laughs) however they would never disclose the paternity because marcus threatened to harm them and the children if they did and if they asked or if if they asked if asked they said that they conceived through artificial insemination oh okay i'm like they're like kids though right Weird. People are still gonna be like, "Why is your eight-year-old have a like?" Why well, I don't know if they were eight, but even at like fifteen. Okay, yeah, fifteen. Like, why is your fifteen-year-old artificially in- inseminated? Yeah, yeah. Question. Court, Question. So, court records show that Marcus fathered at least eighteen children, and that doesn't include the like seven that he was. Like, just left with, I guess. So you had 18 and then 18 plus the 7? <laughs> no, the 7. So 18 plus 7. Oh, okay. I guess. I don't really know how the 7. Okay, yeah. We're gonna, I'm gonna, 
assume the 18 plus 7. Yeah, because I think that it says he fathered at least 18. And okay. the 7 were not his, I don't think. Got I think it. those are the nieces that he's... Can you imagine, like, 45 children just... Yeah, just running around. a boat in a shack. Yeah. It's a lot of children. It's like, yeah, it's a lot and of children. And you're not working, and you got to make time to molest your daughters and keep them separated from your sons and your wife can't help because you won't let her that's a lot of work like a lot of, yeah sounds like a simpsons episode a little bit <laughs> a little bit sozin's contact between the sons and daughters were discouraged it's said that marcus's sons were raised completely differently than his daughters other than the beatings of course mm-hmm They've claimed that he raised them as Seventh-day Adventists, and they said he's the best dad anyone could ever have. Okay. Yeah. One of his sons, Serafino Wesson, didn't believe that his father was the killer at first, uh, stating that he looks dangerous, but he's a gentle guy, and he can't believe he did it. The sons didn't know much about what was going on between their sisters and father mm. until it all came to light later. Marcus was, of course, a supporter of Branch Davidian leader David Koresh, who had multiple wives and children. And during the fire and siege of their complex, Marcus told his children, this is how the world is attacking God's people. This man is just like me. He's making children for the Lord. That's what we should be doing, making children for the Lord. Hmm. So I don't think that helped his God complex. Not so much. In 2004, Marcus wanted to relocate his daughters and their children, his daughter wives and their children slash his children slash his grandchildren slash all everything. (laughs) At the time, they were living in a rundown office building in Fresno and he wanted to move them to Washington State because that's where his parents lived. Okay. And on March 12th, 2004, Sophina and Ruby, who were um, mothers of some of the children um, and nieces of his, they had rebelled against him previously and left their children in his care. Well, on March 12th, 2004, they came back to his family compound to demand Marcus release their children. Neighbors, um, actually I've heard, I read mixed things that it was either neighbors or the women called the police. And when they arrived, the police just thought it was a regular child custody issue. However, when the cops got there, Marcus went inside and locked the door and wouldn't open the door for them. Elizabeth, his wife, arrived while the police were there and she was able to enter the house. When she opened the door to the back room, it was dimly lit, and she saw Marcus kneeling with his arm wrapped around their 17-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. When Marcus saw her, he called her name as if she were in trouble, and she just ran. She says to this day she doesn't know why, and she will always regret running. A few minutes later, there were gunshots followed by Marcus calmly exiting the house covered in blood. Mm. Calmly exiting? Yeah, calmly. Just Ugh. He just walks out covered in blood, didn't really say anything. Ugh. I always feel so like, terrible for the police officers that have to watch this. Yeah. Well, and like his family's in the street. Right, like watching that. Is, oh. Yeah, like, yeah, parts of 
like some of his families in the street. Um, so there were nine victims. Seven of them were children under the age of 12. The other two victims were 17-year-old Elizabeth and 25-year-old Sabrina. And surrounding the bodies were antique coffins that Marcus had purchased months beforehand. He claimed that they were used for wood and as beds for his children. Coffins for beds as children? Antique coffins. Antique. So expensive. Oh, wait, but vampires. Vampires. Fuck. Uh, How come I never made that connection before? That makes sense. But still. Oh, creepy. Ew. Ugh. So each victim was shot through the eye. Oh. Yeah. And Marx's children, who weren't inside the house, survived. So it was just the just the nine. Like, well, we have eighteen. I mean, he children. did have eighteen children, 50%. so he just killed half of them. Mm. He still so, has eight children. Yeah, no, that's great. But nine has children. It's a lot. Yeah, nine. Hey, math good. <laughs> you math real good. <laughs> Wait, eight plus eight is eighteen. 18. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> So, yes, unfortunately, half of his kids were dead. And, you know, he's arrested right away. And they go to court. And in court, one of the nieces said that there was a suicide pact. And that if they were caught by authorities, the daughter wives would kill the children and then themselves. And that's what Marcus's defense claimed happened, that his daughter, Sabrina, committed the murders... And then shot herself through the eye. Mm, yes. Because that makes sense. I mean, I would, if I was going to shoot myself. It wouldn't be my. It would, I mean, I, maybe he like, maybe that was a part of his Bible thing. Like you have to shoot yourself in the but eye. But if they're vampires, wouldn't it be the chest? Be a stake to the chest. Or like, yeah. I don't know. Why through the eye? Why the eyeball? Well, one of her, um, one of the victims was Sabrina's son, and Marcus's son and grandson, who was like one years old. Oh, yeah, little baby. So many little babies. <laughs> a lot of babies. Yeah. Um, and the suicide pact defense was enough doubt for the jury to be unsure if Marcus had fired the shots, but he was still convicted of murder. Uh, presumably because he had persuaded his children to enter the suicide pact. So even if he didn't do it, he still encouraged it. Yeah. Okay. He still kind of did it. A lot did it, but that's okay. (laughs) Marcus was convicted of nine counts of first-degree murder, 14 counts of forcible rape and sexual molestation. He was on death row until California got rid of death row, and his sentence was commuted to life in prison. So, California saved his life. And after the killings, Marcus's wife and children continued to show support for him. But over time, um, they've had, you know, awareness and grief and they've they've moved on. Marcus's wife is 60 now. And in 2009, was said to be filing for divorce. Because she wants her children to be able to have freedom and not be judged by their father's actions. Oh, that's good. Yeah. She wants the best. Now that she's out, she wants the best for them. Exactly. Or, like, understands, like, what's happening. 
Yeah, well, and, and she goes on. I read somewhere. Um, she talks about how he basically raised her, and yeah, she was a little brainwashed. Yeah, I mean, he was like her father and her husband. It's a lot because I mean, she was eight years old when kind of stepdad came into her life and decided he was going to marry her instead of her mom. Yeah. And then raise her, but also have babies with her. That's a lot of Sigmund and Sigmund Freud. <laughs> a lot of complex <laughs> right there. <laughs> a lot of Freudian issues Freudian. there. Yes, yes. Um, but it seems like she's doing all right, considering. And um, Serafino Wesson, one of the sons, is now married with two children. And when his son was born, he made a vow to give him the best life anyone could and to be nothing like his father. And Adrian Wesson, another son, says he didn't know that being beaten for two hours because he had asked his mom to roll down a car window wasn't normal. And now when he thinks of his father, he just sees a shadowy figure. He says, for the first time in our lives, we are free. Right? Mm. I want to cry. Right? Um, as far as media, there's a lot out there on it, um, but there's a book. Fresno reporter Alicia Sofios covered the case, and she actually had the, some of the female members, some of the female family members come live with her. Oh, yeah. But she did write a book called Where Hope Begins, and Alicia Sofios said if she were to meet Marcus Wesson, she would want to say all of the things his family has done in spite of him. Yeah. I like right. that. I, yeah, I thought that that was a really good stance on the issue. Yeah, um, I like that. Like, come triumph out of it all. Yeah. I haven't looked... I didn't look for an update to see if he's still alive. I just kind of assumed he was still... Chilling in jail. Chilling in prison forever, and that's it. All right. That's the whole story of Marcus Dellen Wesson. I'm so surprised long. I haven't heard of him. Yeah, especially being in California. Right. And it wasn't that long. I mean, no. 2004. 16, 15, 15 years ago. Yes, 15 years ago. <laughs> Again, we math real good. <laughs> I should math real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what computers name. and phones are for. <laughs> okay, it's all you. Okay. Well, I'm going to discuss an Amish cult. Cause Ooh. What's more American than the Amish? I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> just as a little background, the Amish are a group of traditionalist Christian church fellowships with Swiss, German, Anaptist origins. And they are known for simply living plain dress and reluctance to adopt main conveniences such as modern technology. So basically, they don't have computers. They're very... Which, honestly, I kind of want their lifestyle. A little bit. I mean... It sounds fabulous. Off the grid. Off the grid. No technology. No social media. Like, what do you have to stress about? There's no stress. Like, you just live I'm sure they're stressing over goat milk or something. Right. Like, their day-to-day activities are stressful, but, like... Don't get all that negative. There's no FOMO. They don't have the FOMO. No, they. I bet you they still have FOMO. Like you missed the carriage into town. That's true. I mean, they do give them the like the year to go off and see the real world. Springer. Yeah. 
So I guess there is that FOMO. But yeah, that too. They actually know the real world exists. That's because they have to go into town, I guess, to get things. Well, I'm still going to go if they have no FOMO, and it sounds like a great it's society. It's just perfect. Except perfect for life. they have a cult too. But they also have cults. They also do not get away with not having cults. Yes. They also, they are like everyone else, unfortunately. Well, in 1995, a new Amish settlement was founded in Burkholst, Ohio. The leader was Sam Mullet, and he wanted to create a settlement that was more conservative than the already conservative Amish settlement that he was currently residing in. In 1997, Mullet was ordained minister, and in 2001, he was ordained the bishop. But he did this in an unusual manner. Amish tradition usually requires that at least three bishops are present in the ceremony. However, in his case, only one other bishop was present. Huh. So basically, he wanted a more traditional society, but broke the rules to do so. Yeah. Probably because he had to. Yeah. He, I think he was just a little too cray for them. But <laughs> he got what he wanted. Uh, there isn't very much information obviously there's no technology so there's about a nine-year gap that we don't really know what's happening but in early 2006 mullet started to excommunicate some of the community members including the deacon nine and then nine families left the settlement basically a third of the community left wow so clearly something was happening yeah and as punishment, these families were then excommunicated. So Mullet just said, but fine, if you're going to leave me, I'm going to excommunicate you. <laughs> you basically you're fired. Now I quit. Yeah, exactly. He's like, mm, I quit. No, you're fired. I guess yeah, would be more exactly. accurate. And he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> so basically what excommunication means is that these families are no longer able to join other strict Amish communities. So they're not happy about this because obviously he's a little cray-cray, but they're trying to leave his cray-cray for... For something a little less cray-cray, but but they still want to be in the cray-cray. They still want the strictness, but they just a little less cray-strict is what they want. But now they can't have their little less cray-strict. Right. So the groups, or the, uh, a lot of the bishops actually got together and they expressed expressed that they felt the ban on the families shouldn't be applied in the normal tradition which the normal tradition is that once you're excommunicated you need to write your sins and express them to the bishop hoping that he'll let you back in but because this was an extremist sect essentially right it shouldn't count because their sins weren't sins in the first place weren't sins in the eyes of the broader sense of their beliefs so they get together and they try to come up with a solution, but Mullet's just not having it. And then, so five of them got together and that didn't work. A second committee of seven bishops was also unsuccessful. And in the end, over 300 Amish ministers decided that his rules just didn't matter. If you're excommunicated by Mullet, it didn't matter. You could just come back to us. It's fine. Oh, that's good. So they just, they let it be. During this time, Mullet had about 120 people living under his rule, and this is when things started to take a dark turn, and he became more and more strict, and he expected everyone to obey. Outside sources and former members claim that Sam Mullet 
rules the cult with an iron fist. There were forced beatings, pitting one member against another, and heavy punishments when b- members disagreed with Bishop Mullet. One source said he wouldn't be surprised if it ended in a mass suicide or some other tragedy. Damn. He compared it to other large cult mass suicides as well. And another source said she heard many stories about the brainwashing, the beatings, the locking up, and the women he is using. Damn. And they have no internet and no electricity. Like, they can't call for help. Nope. And there's no, like... Is, there's not like a hotline they can no. call or a and they're not even a w- hotline. They're not even aware of like a hotline for them to call. Like yeah. there isn't billboards on the the carriage coming into town. <laughs> abuse Maybe there call. should be. We should. They need to have like a letter system. Yeah. For abuse. You know how kind of like how you can call the cops and pretend to order a pizza if you're being oh yeah attacked. They should have some sort of some like, like flyer Amish like system like write something specific on this page in your bible oh that's a good one okay well maybe we amish is listening anyway <laughs> yeah if you're using technology and going against the rules let us know or we'll, we'll come help you out yeah there was also reports of child abuse and daily beating. abuse abuse <laughs> child abuse abuse and daily beatings among the terrified community Sam Mullet obviously denies his clan is a cult, but he sees value in punishing those who don't follow church teachings. You don't obey the law. You don't obey the law, you're punished. It's the same way with the church, Mullet said. Mm. And in 2011, things took a very interesting turn. Between September 6th through November 9th, Mullet ordered an attack on people who had left the community or didn't agree with Mullet and his beliefs or did anything that he felt betrayed him. If they had a bad vibe. If they had a bad vibe, he was not about it. It was on the hit list. Well, on the hit list. Now, these attacks aren't the normal attacks that you would think of. They're actually attacks against the beard or their hair. Oh, yeah, because they take it very seriously. Very, very seriously. So... Amish men typically grow beards as adults, and they stop trimming them when they marry. And basically, beards on men and long hair on women have spiritual value. So yeah. it holds value. So it's very, very, very important to them. And Mullet ordered about 27 men and his women. His name's Mullet, and he's ordering hair crimes. Isn't it great? <laughs> it just makes sense. Okay. I wish he had ordered them to all have mullets. Right? But instead, it was the beards. You ruined. You had a perfect opportunity, Mr. Mullet. But does he, was he aware of mullets? Because there's no technology there. I don't know. He's been a rumspringer, probably. Maybe he c- created the mullet on his own. Maybe. Maybe. And then he just dipped and went back to Amish country and was yeah. like, these guys are idiots. If you look at some of their hair, it's great. Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. hair attacks. Okay. About 27 men and women were ordered to cut off the hair of those that betrayed him. Obviously, this was the most familiar thing that could hop- happen to... Hoppin? <laughs> really doing well with my words today. That could happen to an Amish community member. One report said that on October 4th, the group burst into an Ohio home and held down an Amish man as they attempted to cut his beard 
and hair off with scissors and a battery-powered shaver. Okay. It's actually very intense. If you look at a picture, it's like they're literally holding the guy and he's like scared for his life. Because also, they can use batteries. I also thought about that one, but I think batteries are fine. It's still technology. I I don't. Okay. All right. So yes. he's fighting. He's fighting. Uh, there were more attacks with victims, including children as young as 13. I just picture people running down the streets with giant scissors, like the kind that you like, the ones that cut, cut giant like ribbons with. Yes. Like, <laughs> I could see that. Like cartoon style. And Jeez. the buggy, people are just jumping into buggies. <laughs> yeah. Ah, mayhem. All mayhem. Mayhem ensued. One member said her husband was dragged out of their bed by his beard and taken outside and assaulted. She said the guys came up and surrounded him and cut off a chunk of his beard. They were unable to get any more because he struggled so hard against them. They said that they did this to uncover their sins and to straighten them out. Oh, okay. Because you've been naughty. A 57-year-old woman said her sons and her son-in-law actually joined this cult, and they were the ones to attack her and her husband. Oh. So it was a family business as I guess well. so. <sighs> After they chopped off her husband's whiskers, they actually shaved her head. They fully shaved her head. Damn. This is why they can't have nice things like no. technology. They can't have technology because then they're going to shave your head. Yeah. And obviously, after these attacks, the sheriff became involved because it's pure mayhem. What I imagine what would happen if they had like an like an oven. Oh gosh, right? Or like a blender or technology to see all the bad things that you can do in this world, right? It's a good thing this man did not have technology. But I wonder if it would have stopped faster if there was like the Facebook group, like, "Hey, Mole's out again. He's attacking your beard." <laughs> you've seen those groups where it's like <laughs> next door where it's <laughs> they say all these like the crazy neighbors doing this Didn't yeah maybe maybe they would have had time to hide their beards hide, hide your beards hide, hide your, your wife's <laughs> beards <laughs> hide your kids hide your family okay okay we digress sam mullet actually denied that he ordered in- ordered any of these attacks but admitted the goal was to send a message to the Amish that should be ashamed of themselves for the way they were treating Mullet and his community. Sam Mullet said, We like to get up in the morning, be left alone, live like normal people. They won't leave us be. But I didn't order anything like that. I didn't tell them not to. I'm still not going to tell them not to. <laughs> he didn't order it, but he didn't but say no. But he's okay no. with it. He's okay, but he just he didn't. he's not the one that ordered it. And in September 2012, the now-dubbed Burkholz Barbers, that's what they called all of them for shop. Burkholz Barbers. The Burkholz Barbers. Okay. That kind of sounds like a band. Like, yeah, like a barbershop quartet. quartet. The Burkholz Barbers went to trial, and 16 Amish men and women were convict- convicted. Convicted? Uh, convicted. Are they in oven? <laughs> all this Conviction talk about the oven. lack of the convection. They were convicted on federal hate crime and conspiracy charges. Initially, Samuel Mollett Sr. was sentenced to 15 years in prison. 
And during and after the trial, new details emerged about the ongoings of this group. Mullet allegedly bedded his followers' wives, including some of his own daughters-in-law, under the guise of providing counseling. Oh. Of course. A source said he would take the wife from the man. The wife would have to go and live with Sam. The husband of that wife would have to go to the chicken coop or the barn in the middle of winter, sometimes days and nights. That's... Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. Mullet said, I seldom counsel any of the women. It's hardly about sex. He added, it's about communication. Yes. Sexual communication. Sexual communication. They say, I went to the women, but they came begging for me to, for help. He helped us get out of this hole, they said. Because they were in some hole. Or in their hole. Or come get in my hole. I don't know. Yeah, I doubt they were begging for it from Mr. Mullet. From the mullet, right? Mm. Yes. And in 2013, Dan Schrock, who's actually Sam's grandson, he got in a serious buggy accident. God. Yes. I mean, horses are can be pretty intense. I wonder if he just took that turn too fast. Yeah. He's probably so bored. He's racing, racing buggies and just runs into a tree or flips that thing. Yes. And he ended up going to a Pittsburgh hospital where he had to spend four months. So it was actually a pretty serious accident, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, damn. And during this time, he realized that civilization was there and how oh, crazy. Oh, yeah, because he went to a hospital. He was never been to a hospital. Exactly. So he's in real society <laughs> and he's realizing how crazy his family and what is. What year was this? In 2013. So, like, computers? Everything. Cell phones? All the computer, like, the medical technology around him. Yeah. All around him. Damn. The scale. Can you imagine even? seeing that for the first time? It's no. like, going from nothing to that. And obviously, he probably, if he was in the hospital for four months, he probably woke up from some, had surgery or something. Yeah. Woke up all groggy. It was like, wait a second. Did I get abducted by aliens? <laughs> yeah, right? It would be crazy. Oh, okay. So what happened? So in his stay, he realized his family's a little cray-cray and that he it wasn't the reality and that his father actually was in a cult or created this cult. And in his first interview, he recounted the acts of violence, sexual misconduct, and brainwashing. He said, Sam Moltz's community is a cult. They don't have freedom. He has power over people's minds, gets them to do things he wants them to do, and believe in him. I've been there, my cousins have been there, and we know it, and it is true. They made you write down your sins to Sam Moltz, and when you're forgiven, you could start over a new life, supposedly. Supposedly. Basically, he's making them write down anything and everything that they, if they had a bad vibe, they had to write down oh, and yeah. hope that he would forgive them and their For sins. For having a bad vibe. Exactly. And if not, your husband's going to the chicken coop. You're, yep. And I get you. Yeah. Molt's winning all over the place. Yeah. And it's Amish country. So like, they don't know any better. They don't know. I mean, I'm sure some people knew better, but like. Overall, they're not, they don't have as much access to. And I think they were so scared of being excommunicated that they just stuck with it. Probably. so devout to their, their faith. Probably don't know what to do. Yeah. Like what they would do without it. Exactly. 
in order to repent repent shock said <laughs> wow Oof, i'm sorry guys you guys have funny jokes now in order to repent shock said he and his siblings and cousins were paddled and forced to spend long cold nights in animal pens he was once made to live in one for seven days Ugh. probably during the winter too I mean, isn't winter, like, always? It's in Ohio, so it's very yeah. cold there. I have no interest in how often it's cold there. No. And again, they don't have technology, so they don't have heat. Ugh. All bad. Martha Mullet, who is Sam's wife, admits that her group engages in practices that are unusual for mainstream Amish, including the use of animal pens to punish improper behavior, she once placed herself in an animal pen for 18 consecutive days. What in the world? And, like, what did she do that whole time? Oh, here we go. But she okay. was quick to mention this was always voluntary, an extreme kind of soul-searching, and never something children would take part of. She spent the time praying, writing letters, and talking to God. Did she eat? I mean, she's probably hanging out with the chickens. Maybe she got some chicken feed. <laughs> she didn't talk about that part i just wonder like did someone bring them food you'd think maybe, or maybe maybe it was slop I, anything called slop i don't want any ugh, part of i don't either not about that life she says i wasn't always the best woman i wasn't always the best wife i made mistakes and i thought it would help me so she's also brainwashed out there yeah kinda, it's very it's sad it is sad Mola acknowledged that her husband was intimate with other women, but said the relationships weren't abusive. Rather, it was intimate marriage counseling. Schrock even admitted that his gran grandfather has a child with another member of the clan. Hmm. So there's proof that he's yeah. sleeping around. Schrock says Sam Mullet continues to hold power in jail. He regularly talks to the community members and directs things from his jail cell. Okay, that's some crazy shit. They still are listening to him while he is in jail. Is he, like, sending... It's got to be letters. I would assume letters. No phone. He can't be calling them. Right. I guess letters. Lots of letters. Lots. That's got to be a lot of letters. Well, she's... But I guess my guy controlled his family from jail, too. That's true. Well, she, I mean, his wife is spending 18 days in a chicken coop, so she has lots of time to write letters. Yes, she does. And Shrock believes there are dozens of victims of physical and sexual abuse who remain silent because they are scared of the control over their minds by Mullet. His seven siblings are still living in Burkles, and he hopes to return one day to rescue them. But for now, he's trying to get his GED and be a member of society. And Burkholz, I guess, is in jail People like his singing. He sings them to sleep in jail. Sings them to sleep. I wonder what he sings them. The hymns of the Amish. I'm sure. It's very interesting to think about him hanging out with all these murderers. And yeah. All the technology now. Yeah. I mean, they have technology. I know someone that's in jail and he called me recently. I don't usually answer, but this time I did. And he was telling me that he has an iPad. What? Or, like, not an iPad, but he has a tablet. And, like, they can buy books and movies and things yeah, on don't their they tablet. Have, they have, like, movie screenings and stuff. Yeah, but he can, like, buy them on his tablet. What? 
Yeah. Like, he can read books and buy movies on the tablet. That's so crazy. I guess this is like, his own type of hell, then. If there's technology, technology there. Technology all around him. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I guess there isn't that much technology in prisons, but if they have their own tablets, then. There's some technology around him. Yeah. His jail, his cellmate's, like, on his phone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of the Burkholz Barbers and the Sam Mullet cult. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and thanks for hanging out. Hope you had as much fun as we did. So much fun. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you don't mind taking a second and giving us five stars, we would super, super, super appreciate it. That was a lot of supers. Well, super duper. <laughs> um, you can find us at Bang Bang Cult on Instagram, Facebook, or emails bangbangcult at gmail.com. Reach out, say hi whatever whatever you want suggestions yeah that's pretty much it thanks for listening we really appreciate it see you next time